Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com. Here is Jennifer Duplessis. Okay, listen, today we're going to be talking to Diane Gardner, who is um, a tax coach. She's She's a CPA, but she's a tax coach. Uh, that's her. That's her fun name. Um, and uh, today, the reason why I wanted to bring Diane on the show is that uh, there are a lot of things that we see as loan officers um, in tax returns that uh, we know about, but there are things that we may not be looking at. And the other part of it is that there are a few um, areas in which uh, we want to be careful that we're not guiding clients in tax. Uh, law or tax guidelines because we're not licensed to do so, but that we want to be aware of so that we're um, we're not uh, in a position. We don't want to be in a position where we're dispelling a myth that that really isn't a myth, or vice versa. And and that's one of the reasons why I have Diane on. The second reason is that we're going to talk about um, how we can help ourselves in reducing our tax liability as well. So Diane, welcome to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so happy to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. Of course, of course. So let me read your bio real quick so everybody gets a sense of, of who you are and what you do. So again, uh, Diane Gardner and her, um, she is your tax coach. She is an expert tax coach, a Quilly Award recipient and best-selling author who's whose proactive planning approach gives clients a leg up on Uncle Sam and helps them dodge the tax bullet. Diane saves small businesses, uh, business clients between five dollars and $50,000 in as little as 60 minutes, which I would love. Um, her tax coaching sessions have resulted in a combined savings of over $700,000 year to date, or to date, rather, to date, leaving uh, no de deduction or credit unexamined, no stone unturned. She's a certified profit-first professional, an accredited tax preparer, and has elite certification as a certified tax coach. She is the co-author of the best-selling books, Stand Apart, and Why Didn't My CPA Tell Me That? I love that title. Uh, she's also authored six other books, including her newest book called Stop Overpaying Your Taxes, 11 Ways Entrepreneurs Overpay and How to Stop It Now. And I love the name of that book, by the way, Diane, because um, the last part, I, the, the first one I love because it's cute, but the last one I really like because if we have any self-employed borrowers, this is a great closing gift for them. You know, to oh, hand you it, yeah, hand it out to them. So, all right, so when we were chatting a little bit um, before, what, let's get started with um, choosing the right tax advisor, that that seems to be one of the big issues that people have. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, you bet, yes. I see all the time in my peers out there in the accounting world that so many accountants, we, we drive by what we call looking in the rear view mirror. All they ever mm -hmm. do is look at the history 
of, of what has been happening with the client. And they're not looking proactively as what's happening in the future, helping them lay out the plan for the future. They're too busy just doing the compliance side and recording the history and being ultra conservative and not wanting to even investigate and find out how can I make this deductible for my client versus, oh, I'm just sure that's not deductible. And so there is a chapter in Lap Over Pain book called How Choosing the Right Tax Professional is a Lot Like Dating. And it's yeah. all about finding a tax professional who shares your same thoughts and ideas, who shares your same goals, who understands the business world or the industry that you're operating in, and who you feel like you can really have a relationship with because your accountant becomes your trusted advisor. And they should be the first person that you go to with questions and thoughts and concerns. And I'm thinking about maybe doing this. And what would that do to me tax-wise and that type of thing. And so you really want to find somebody that you can have a good relationship with, somebody who's easy to talk to, somebody who will respond back to you, those types of things. Yeah, and you know, I would agree with that because uh, I can tell you from my own personal experience, it's crickets all year long until I, get, out of the blue, get an email that says, hi, it's tax season, give me the list of this stuff <laughs> so that you can pay me an arm and a leg, and and then I'll notify you how much you owe instead of, you know, communicating with me on a quarterly basis or, you know, half the year and, and assessing where we stand and making the proper adjustments before it's too late, you know. Right, so, right, yeah. That's that's really key. So, okay, well, thanks for sharing that. So let's, you know, make sure, you know, and as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, of all the people that I've referred, I always try to match personalities, but maybe I should mm -hmm. be doing more than that. It should be not just the personality, but really digging deep and, and maybe even guiding my clients on what they should be asking the people that I am referring, you know, the types of questions they should be asking to make sure that it is a good fit and not just based on um, geographic location and personality. You bet, you, right. Because yeah, yeah. some, yeah, some of us work nationwide. So then you take down the geographic barrier mm -hmm. and you're able to refer them off to somebody who might just be the best fit for them, but they're not within that state. And that's okay because a lot of us do work nationwide. Okay, get it. I got it. So the best may not be the most local person. It might be someone long, you know, long distance. Okay. Right. So let's get into, um, I guess, why don't we do the loan officer piece first? So we're loan officers and we're paid 100% commission, but it's a W-2. So what can we do? And, you know, we make good money. So what can we do to offset some of our expenses other than just the unreimbursed expenses that we have? What else could we possibly be looking at for ourselves? Well, you guys are a little bit challenging um, compared to my, my average normal business person, which I can throw all kinds of stuff out for them. Probably one of the biggest areas that you guys have uh, control over would be in the charitable contribution arena. There okay. is so much that can be done there as far as contributions you can take today, possibly setting up assets so that you can pass them off to a charity but still retain control of them during your lifetime and oh, giving you an income stream off of them. So there's some pretty nice tax planning strategies that go along with the charitable contributions for those that are charitably minded. And it's always fun to get in there and do some digging on that type of stuff for my clients and always looking at taking extra 
continuing education classes in that area myself so that I have new ideas to bring to my W-2 clients you know, specifically. Right, right. Well, that's interesting because um, so what type of assets are you talking about that would be something that we would have availability to yet still earn an income stream but then leave it to charity that we could take advantage of on a, an annual basis? I, mean, I would think that there was interest gain. We'd have to pay tax on it. Um, so does that defeat the purpose of a charitable gift? Well, there are some charitable trusts that you can set up and you can uh, take something yep. like a rental property Mm -hmm. and give it to the charity, but you could keep the cash flow that comes off of it, which is basically the rent, uh -huh. coming to you during your lifetime, but yet you're able to take that deduction for passing it off to the charity. There's also things where you can give away assets that have appreciated in value to the charity. You get the write-off at today's rate at what the value is, but when you giving it to the charity, then you're not having to pick up the capital gain side of it as if you would have sold it. So I see people do that a lot with stocks or properties that have been in a family maybe for a few generations, so they have a really low basis, yeah, and yeah. give that type of thing to a charity, take the write-off at today's rate, and maybe that basis is only you know twenty or 30 or 40000 and take a several hundred thousand dollar write-off. So right. there's a lot of, of planning that can be done in that arena that people aren't necessarily thinking about. Yeah, no kidding. Well, is that a charitable remainder trust? Is that what that is, a charitable remainder yes. trust? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, yes. I thought I'd heard of it before, and so as you're talking, I'm saying, oh, I think I've heard this before. It's been a while since <laughs> we talked about it. So what happens for the W-2 person who, um, I know this happened to me, and this is why I know, but I don't know how or why, but it did. I have a baby grand piano. And I got to the point where I couldn't sell it, and I just wanted to give it to somebody. Just give it to the church. Give it. So I called my tax advisor, and he said, uh, you won't get a benefit for doing that. <laughs> and I said, well, then I'm not going to give it away <laughs> if I'm not going to have any benefit anywhere from giving You know, I can't even sell it, and now I can't even get a tax benefit. So where's the, the threshold of income for a W-2 employee um, where it becomes not as valuable for us to be doing charity, other than out of the goodness of our heart anyway, but just from a tax perspective. Right, right. And we always say you know, charity basically starts out of the goodness of your heart first, and then tax yes. ramifications are second. Right. Um, the IRS allows us to deduct up to 50% of our adjusted gross income, right, normally. That's just kind of the general rule. But then as your adjusted gross income starts climbing and you hit around a little over the 300000 mark if you're filing a, a if you're married, filing a joint return, uh -huh. or about 250000 if you're single, at that point then you start phasing out things like charitable contributions. Got and it. so you may have been somewhere in that range, and so adding the additional contribution wasn't going to help you. But what happens on that is you don't necessarily lose that deduction forever. It's just limited for that year, and it gets carried forward. And oh, so if you have a year coming up in the future where the income drops below that threshold, then right. you can pick up those contributions that you've been carrying forward. And I have that happen with clients, and there'll be a nice little surprise every so often. It's like, whoa, look at that. They got to take X amount from a few years ago that we've just been carrying it forward until the day when they could actually take it. So it's not lost yeah. forever. Yeah, well, I, again, as long as your tax accountant is good at remembering... <laughs> that we well, and then well that we didn't I rely on my software. Yeah, I know. That's yeah, my I'm software carries it forward, right? Good. 
Okay, so that's interesting. So you can take okay. it up until that number, and then you lose any supplemental. So it's sort of like the, the gift thing. Oh, gosh, we can talk about that, too. Okay, so um, that's one thing. What is the second thing that we could do? A lot of people in your industry are probably have a home office, working from home and mm -hmm. expending expenses to be able to set up that office from home. Right. So making sure that they are picking up those associated expenses, which means that you get a business use percentage of your mortgage interest or property taxes or rent if you're renting, your homeowner's insurance or your renter's insurance, your utilities, um, internet, those types of things that are just kind of general use throughout your home, repairs to your home, security, homeowner's fees, all those kind of just general living costs. And then the room that you're actually using for your office, if you do something in specific to that room, let's say you, you re-carpet that room or you repaint it or you do something along those lines, then that one you can just take that as a deduction and you don't have to prorate it over the cost of the whole home. Wow. Okay. And so there's some of that type of stuff that can be a nice little write-off that people don't always think about. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So hey, anything that you're let's doing. Look at this. Right. So anything you're doing, like buying a printer um, re renovating, if that's what you're doing, uh, buying desks, mm -hmm. if you have things like that that you want to put in there, um, those those are things that can have a direct deduction. You bet, yeah. Okay. Yay, yeah. how fun, because this past weekend, <laughs> my husband and I moved our office from my son's old bedroom down to our looky living room, because we're tired of walking up and down the stairs and, you know, yelling at each other from a distance. And uh, I said, you know, we need we need to get a new desk now because this one doesn't fit. It doesn't work. I mean, like all this stuff. Interesting. I'm excited. Okay, so those are two great ways that we um, can can take some additional deductions as W-2 employees because otherwise we're left with just 1099s, and there aren't any of us that do that anymore unless someone is an owner of a company, um, which I'm not going to do because most of our most of the people listening to this uh, podcast are not uh, 1099 so that moves us into the clients so we're loan officers we're looking at tax returns quite a bit uh, some of us more than others but we're looking for income we're looking for depreciation to be able to write back you know add back into income so we're doing everything that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac require us to add back in what could we be doing outside of the confines of trying to determine what someone qualifies for but actually analyzing them from a very low level so we don't cross over the line of being a, a tax advisor without the proper um, licenses. But what could we be looking at uh, in the body of the tax return for both self-employed and W-2 people to recognize whether or not they need some more advice in the tax world? Well, first of all, Jennifer, I would say if you're looking at a tax return that maybe has a Schedule C on it and it has few or no expenses, in my okay. world, that's a huge red flag. It's like, whoa, okay. what happened here? We have, we have self-employment income, but we don't have expenses. I know in this industry they should have some expenses. Okay. You know, very few industries have hardly any. And so right. looking for that, do they have kind of the normal stuff out there? Uh, and if they don't, question it. Um, another area that I see all the time is high net profit Schedule Cs. Net profit meaning they're 80, 90, 100,000 on up on a Schedule C, and they are paying a boatload of tax. Well, what if we could do some tax planning with them 
and put a bunch of that money, 10, 12, 15, 20,000 dollars of that money back in their pocket, which allows them to have more as a down payment on the property that they're trying to buy, or it allows them to have more to invest in an investment of some sort, those types of things. And that makes you a tax makes you a superhero. And it makes, you know, those of us who are out there doing tax planning, tax superheroes, because we're able to just move some things around and, and enlighten them as to deductions that they're not writing off that they potentially could be writing off and putting that money back in their pocket. Okay. And that's pretty fun to get to do that on a regular basis for people. Yeah, so so what are some of the things? I mean, other than just kind of pulling expenses out of the blue or, you know, arbitrarily buying things they don't really need, uh, you know, is there is there something else that is redirected, um, such as Roth IRAs or SEP IRAs, uh, what are, you know, or um, Safe Harbor type of you retirement bet. funds? Is that really what you're talking about doing is some, most of that or a big chunk of that? It is a lot of those types of things, and probably the, the first place that I always start with is looking at are they in the right entity type? Because so often right. if I see a high income Schedule C, that is a business that needs some liability protection. Yeah. And so maybe it would be better to move them into a different entity type, whether it be an LLC or an S Corp or a C Corp or something along those lines. Mm -hmm give them some liability protection, shelter some of that income from self-employment tax, which then allows them to put that money back in their pocket because now they're not paying the self-employment tax on it right. and change their life by right. just some simple restructuring. But then we, we do like to look at retirement planning. Can we take some of that savings that we've created and put that now into a retirement plan and create some additional savings, whether it's something like a SEP or a simple or a, a safe harbor 401k or right. you know those types of plans where now they're able to take a nice tax write-off on money that they basically got back from the government. Because I always tell people, yeah, we all need to pay our fair share, but there's nothing out there that says we have to give the IRS a big tip. And that's what so many people are doing and they don't realize it. That, now, see, that could be the name of your next book, No Tips for the IRS. Okay, so, <laughs> Right, tipless. Um, let me ask you a question regarding Schedule C and an LLC because, um, you know, if you're a single, um, a, I can't think of the word, you're a single you're sole, member, uh -huh. single member, there we go, a single, mem uh -huh. single member LLC, you can file a Schedule C. Thank Correct. God everybody who's listening understands that question. <laughs> so if you're filing as a Schedule C under the auspice of an LLC, is there any benefit to that? Let's say we get down to the point where someone's making $80,000 a year and they're still filing it as a Schedule C. So are you saying that we would move that over to filing as a traditional um, an S-Corp, maybe, or I mean an LLC S-Corp? Is that is one combo that, that we like yeah. to look at, yeah. And it yeah. always depends on what state the person's operating in because mm -hmm. some states are not LLC friendly and others are. Right. But if we see somebody with a, a net profit of 80, 90, 100,000, then you're able to start saving them somewhere between five to $10,000 and it starts moving up dramatically as that net profit gets a little okay. bit higher. And okay. that's money so, you put right back in their pocket. 
Right, and so regardless of how they're currently, their entity is currently, if they're filing that Schedule C, that, that means we've got to do something, either move fully into you know, an, um, another type of entity under the LLC or uh, let's find some other way. So, okay, so that's one, that. one target that we're going to do. What's, what is another thing we could be looking at in our tax returns that we're looking at, whether they're self-employed or not? Okay, if, if, they, if they are self-employed and they have a lot of really high medical deductions on their Schedule A, but yet they're not able to take advantage of them because we now have to subtract off 10% of our adjusted gross income, that is another nice little tax planning strategy that I love to use for my clients because we have the ability to potentially write off up to 100% of their out-of-pocket medical costs through their business. And so we take them from being totally missed out on that Schedule A and move them over to a business schedule and be able to write them off. Now, does it work for all businesses and all types of things? It works best with a Schedule C uh -huh. or a C Corp. But okay. when it works, it really works well. And I get some pretty nice little ahas when we can make something like that work for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and I like putting my personal situations into these these stories. I mean, I don't mind sharing. I'm kind of an open book. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my husband had heart attacks, three heart attacks three years ago. And um, they were like boom, 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 boom. So he's always, always having to go to the doctor, always. And, and it's just constant. And the medication is about, it's now around $2,000 a month, the medication. Wow. And, we, and by the way, that's buying it from Canada cheaper for one of them and uh, and the, we just and that's by the way the 2000 is after insurance so we have a few that only cost two dollars because of insurance but it costs about two thousand a month so I'm wondering if this is something that I can move into one of my businesses if I dedicate or bring my husband in rather than being a single member that I bring him in as a member another member of my LLC well, if you have a single member LLC, so you're filing a Schedule C, mm -hmm. then we would want to look at potentially hiring him to work in your business right? and then paying him through these medical benefits. Yep. So then Got you it. don't have to put him on payroll, but we're able to pay him through the medical benefits. But we have to make sure that we've got a job description and that the work that he's doing is reasonable for the amount of, quote, pay that he's getting via the medical benefit. And so it is a nice way to take something that's completely undeductible or most of it undeductible and move it over into a deductible area on your tax return. That's great. At least it's worth exploring, right? No question about it. It is. Okay. Yes, definitely. That sounds, that sounds great. So let's move into um, real estate. Uh, as loan officers, and of course, well, I wanted to back up a little bit. You know, I do look at, you know, are they pay? are my w 2 mostly clients, are they paying taxes at the end of the year or are they breaking even? Because some of them think that's a, a nice forced savings account. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm going, well, okay, except that if you owed the IRS a penny, they'd be all over you. So why would you let them keep your pennies, you know, on a monthly basis? So well, I think we're all, we're all definitely looking at that, if anything. But let's move into the real estate piece of it. Um, we have a lot of clients that uh, were upside down during the credit crunch and, you know, maybe aren't upright yet. And so their intent is I'm going to, uh, you know, as we call it departing residence guideline, but they're going to depart their residence and they're going to just turn it into a uh, rental. And um, I always 
that always raises a red flag for me because I want them to understand the implications of now having an investment property and not having the double interest write-off that they think they're going to get. Right. So can you share with us the real guidelines behind this with the IRS so that we are, are at least halfway intelligent? So we can say to the client, look, I know the speed limit's 55, and I know that if you go over it, you're going to get a ticket, but you need to talk to the cop. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So that puts us right on the line. We we know about this, but you need to talk to somebody. Right. Well, I'm going to start with if they were to sell that personal residence. Um, you guys are very familiar with the rule if they've lived in it two out of the last five years. Yep. And then they can exclude. Right. Yeah. They exclude yeah. their gain, whether it's two hundred fifty thousand for single or five hundred thousand for a married. Right. And so when I have my clients who want to turn that home into a rental. Then we talk about, is this something that you want to do for more than two years? Right. Because if you're going to do it for more than two years, you're going to lose that exclusion if the market comes mm -hmm. back and now you want to sell. Mm -hmm. And are you prepared for what is your real basis in this property? Yeah. Because we can't just plop it on a depreciation schedule at today's rate. We have to plop it on the depreciation schedule at what they actually paid for it. Right. And so that causes some really interesting conversations sometimes. Because they sometimes haven't thought that far in advance of, right. ooh, what's going to happen when I want to sell this thing? And so then they start saying, well, can I then write off the any losses that I have? Because I don't know if I can rent it for enough to make this payment because my payment's too high, which mm -hmm. is why I'm in the, the problem that I'm in right now. And so we get to looking at what is their total income. Will they be able to write off the, the losses? And most of the time, they don't qualify to be a real estate in professional, which okay. is somebody who's actually actively you know, in the process of working with real estate as opposed to more your casual investor, the person who is upside down in their home is going to rent it for a while. And if, they're not a, don't, if they don't qualify as a real estate professional, then they may or may not be able to deduct all of their losses that come from that rental. And so then we could have some suspended passive losses out there that could sit out there until they actually sell the home. So right. there's so many different rules that you need to be looking at when you get into that arena. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's really critical because I think that what clients think is, well, I can get, I can pay. Uh, they have you know a budget in their mind of what they're comfortable paying for their for their new home, but then they amp it up because they say, well, okay, that's what I can pay, but I'm gonna have all these losses on the other house, and I'm gonna have this tax deduction and all these great things on this <laughs> other house, and so I can buy more of a house. I can then tell my HR department to deduct more because at the end of the year I'll be able to slide both of these things in and say, nope, I don't owe you, and uh oh, that'd be a big yeah, problem. Yeah, uh oh. Yeah, then yeah. we're then we're back in almost worse trouble than we were before. Yeah, yep. So, See, it's so important. yeah, guys, listen. If you're not doing this, it's so important. And this is what a certified mortgage planner does, by the way. That's a designation that I have, Karen, uh, Diane. And you know, a lot of uh, loan officers that are listening have that. But I'm aware of these. That's why I'm bringing up these these uh, these points here. Is it's really really important for us if we're going to be uh, really educating and guiding our clients, we have got to get our hands around it, just like you're doing, Diane, just like you're learning about uh, charitable contributions and taking uh, continuing education that doesn't really have a direct relevance with what you do. You could be like everybody else and fill in a bunch of boxes. Um, right. So, um, okay, the last item I'd like to talk about and um, is gifts. Let's talk about these gifts, about the myth around gifts. 
Oh, are fun. I know, I know. So let's talk about these, uh, this gifting thing, and let's get some clarity on what is allowed and what isn't, whether there's any exclusions or there's any um, uh, speed bumps that maybe we're not aware of um, outside of just the regular annual and then the lifetime. But if you could just talk about that at length, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Okay. Well, I'm going to start out with two different kinds of gifts. There's the kinds uh -huh. of gifts that you give to your clients, and there's the kinds of gifts that you give to other people. The client gifts is one that I see that people have so much confusion on, is they think they can spend a couple hundred bucks and put together this nice gift basket or this whatever and give it to a client and write it off. And the IRS has this wonderful thing in the tax code that they have not indexed for inflation in forever that says a gift is limited to $25. And okay. you know what happens when they, when I tell them that, I just totally deflate them yeah. because they just spent all this money on a gift. And we're thinking, well, I just learned something. Bucks? Yeah, I just <laughs> I just learned something because I just ordered some flowers for a colleague of mine who let me use her office to do a, po a podcast one day. Um, I was in between offices. I said I need a place quiet, and um, I sent her some flowers for fifty one dollars and thirty some cents. And I just printed it and said, put that in our expenses pile, honey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, okay. Right. Yeah. So that's always a really big downer from people. Yeah. Um, I Absolutely. wish they would index that number for inflation. I believe it's like the early '60s was the last time that they changed it. Wow. So what was $25 back then is yeah. nothing today. And, wow. and so you want to really be careful. There is there some way you can turn that gift into a marketing expense and not uh -huh. a gift? Okay. And so I have my clients get pretty creative there. Can we do it? Somehow, some way, you know, how, back to that whole question of how can we make this deductible? So right. we can make it deductible if we present it correctly. We've got our business name on it. We're, we're doing it on, you know, with the auspices that we're going to get additional business from this person. Those types of things where it now becomes a marketing deduction instead of a gift deduction. Okay. Excellent. So, yeah, that's one that, so that people get buy, caught up on. if I'm going to buy a $200 knife set, it better have my logo on it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Your logo <laughs> on it, it and, <laughs> and some other whatever else you can do to turn it into a marketing deduction. Yep. So I, we're, my, you know, we have very little in the gift category anymore and a whole lot in the marketing category. Got so it. that we can keep these types of things deductible. Yeah. Uh, and so I, that's just an area that people get completely lost in. Because they're not thinking about these guidelines that are yeah. really make no sense in today's right. time. Yep. Okay, so. that sounds good. All right, so let's talk about the gifts, the the uh, annual gifts, and then the lifetime exclusion. Well, right now the annual exclusion for 2016 is still fourteen thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. It just popped on the IRS website because I thought it had moved up, but it hasn't. So it looks like it's up through 2017 is still fourteen thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. which means that you and your spouse can each gift somebody up to $14,000 and not have to worry about taxing, you know, of, of any sort, that type of thing. Yes. So that works out well, like if you're gifting your kids money, you're helping them through college, some of those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, buying a house, yeah. Buying a house, yes, yep. we see that a lot. Um, I yeah. see a lot parents wanting to actually buy that house and gift it to the kids over the years. So yeah. we make sure that we've got notations that they're gifting it 14000 per year per parent, you know. And you can gift your kid and their spouse and each one of their children that 14000 
So you can actually gift quite a bit if you right. lay it out well. Real quick on that, would that change the tax basis by any chance for Not for planning? the giftee. Okay. All for the person right. receiving the gift. Right, that's what I was thinking. Maybe maybe that would change the tax basis so that if someone didn't put together a trust um, you know, for estate planning and that would avoid the tax, you know, the state tax. Okay. Right, right. Yeah, so that works out well. You know, if you're trying to help your kids qualify for this loan and you can gift them money. So, and, and I have clients that do it all the time. Right. Yeah, an annualized basis. Okay, so then what happens if somebody wants to gift someone $20,000 this year to buy a house and they're freaking out, my gosh, it's over 14000 what do I do? Then we look at what is the giftor's total estate worth. Mm -hmm. Are they under that $6 million-ish mark? And if they're under that mark, then it's not really going to matter because there wouldn't be an estate return that would have to be filed anyhow. If they're over it, then it could matter. So. Right, and who has over six million? I mean, some do, believe me, but yeah, there are most, some. Most, the average American doesn't have it. So, so no. what happens then? Um, so we go if someone wants to gift twenty thousand dollars that year. Uh, it, what happens to the six thousand dollars in between if their estate well, is the, not over six million? Mm -hmm. The giftee, nothing happens. Uh -huh. The giftor may have to file a tax return, letting the IRS know that they gave them more than the fourteen thousand. Okay, so just it's just a filing, and that filing then that six thousand dollars is a credit is credited to where? It's more of an information return uh -huh. that just lets them know that you've gifted over the limit, uh -huh. and I'm not even sure if they somehow they, the IRS must keep track of it over the rest of right. your lifetime. I'm not real sure. And right now, How the they, maximum lifetime is a million. Is it still a million for the maximum lifetime? I am not positive if it okay. is still that or not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't so, had anybody so, gifting that kind of money. Right, right. Well, and this is the question that I, I get asked all the time is, you know, I, my kid needs $20,000. Um, the max is fourteen. i I'm not going to give that extra six. And I'm saying, well, you can give the extra six because your um, – your net worth, if your net worth is under $6 million, that extra 6000 just gets contributed to your lifetime gift of a million dollars. And right. what are the odds that you're going to give a gift of a million dollars over your lifetime in cash? You might in equity, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. but, but not in but cash. But maybe right. not in cash. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, right. and I'm looking on the IRS website just as we're talking, and they're talking that an individual can leave up to $5.45 million to their heirs and pay no federal estate or gift tax. So it's very right. high. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Oh, so, yeah. so okay. So that's just clarification for the gifts. Um, all right. Is there anything else that we should be thinking about as you think about a loan officer sitting and talking and, you know, looking at a tax return and finding, um, you know, one, how to qualify uh, a client. That's easy. Um, the other part is just what we could be looking for, you know, other areas that we would dive into that we would not normally dive into. And, um what else we could do for our home or for our own personal tax benefits. I would say one other item for your own personal benefits is making sure that you're capturing all of your write-off for your miles. If you guys yes. are out meeting with people and you're looking uh -huh. at properties and you're doing the stuff that you have to do to make your, your uh, loan close, you're probably incurring quite a few miles over the course of the year. 
Absolutely. And making sure that you are picking those up. You're keeping that mileage log so yeah. that you're not losing that deduction at the end of the year. Yep. And I'll, you know what? I'll do a little plug for Mile IQ. I use Mile IQ because the IRS accepts it. And you can categorize all your calls. You can say that you're going from office to office or meeting to meeting or that you're commuting um, or that it's personal errands. And I find it unbelievably well. I have five companies. So for me, I have to have a lot of different categories. You know, I go from one place to another as myself, and then the next one is a different company, and the next one is a different company. Um, so I think it's really, really important to uh, keep that. And I find that it's, it's just simple, easy. It's easy and to do. From the accountant standpoint, I like my my like you as well because when it comes into me, I can download it right into an Excel spreadsheet and yeah. move it around and do whatever I need to for their tax purposes. Yeah, so perfect. perfect. It's a I nice little app. Yeah, I love it. I think it's like five ninety nine mm -hmm. a month or something. It's very yeah longer. minimal, very right. minimal for what you can gain on it. Okay, wonderful. So, Diane, what would you like to tell us in parting today? I would like to say is, is be proactive. Don't just sit back and pass in all of your tax information to your tax preparer and get the final result given to you and then just keep doing the same thing over and over each year and just paying whatever you, that they say you owe. Be proactive. Look for things that are deductible. Look for ways that you can proactively lower your tax liability because with a little bit of planning, you can make a big difference in that final outcome. Absolutely. I think that's great. And you know what? If our tax planner isn't doing it, they should. we should take the initiative to do it instead if they're not going to take it. Or so, find a tax planner who will. Like you. So let's talk about that. So what are you, you are, have offered a copy of your, your um, book, 10 Most Expensive Tax Mistakes That Cost You Thousands. And where can we get that book? You can go out to www.taxcoachforyou.com, and we use the number four in that address. Okay. And we love to give away copies of that book. We do ask you to just pay the shipping on it. And if you click on the tab that says books, you'll be able to find it in the list. There's several free books in my list, as well as some that we sell, but the free ones are usually towards the top of the list. Okay. And we love to give those away. And then in addition, we also like to do a free tax analysis where we take a look at somebody's last two years tax returns and see if we can find some mistakes or missed opportunities for you. Awesome. So within the next hour of listening to this podcast, you might be able to save people five to $50,000. You bet. <laughs> right? Absolutely. We do it all the time. In yeah. fact, my, my tax planning number to date, truly, because we are at the end of tax season now, is up to $1.45 Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, so that's exponentially growing during tax season. So, yes, it is. Um, so we can get in touch with you at uh, Tax Coach Ford, the number four U Y O U dot com as well for that tax analysis. You bet. Yep. Just okay. drop me a little note, and we'll be happy to to get it started for you. And we want them to make sure that they're dropping a note saying that they heard you on Mortgage Lending Mastery. You bet. Yes, please. Okay. All right. Great. That sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Diane. Um, again, I, you know, every time I do a podcast, I'm learning, learning, learning myself, and I have a, a bunch of nuggets here. I can't wait to take action on them, and I really appreciate you embarking um, your expertise on us. makes a big impact. Well, thank you so much for having me on your program. Absolutely. So we will catch you next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery. 
Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.